Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Continuing today with our series, The Gifts of the Holy Spirit, we'll be turning in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 7 again, but with a message titled, The Common Good. So let's join Dr. John Newfeld now. I think that grace is the most difficult of concepts to consistently remember. If we understood grace, we'd stop complaining. For grace gives us what we haven't worked for, but it also gives us what is not ours by right. We've earned nothing. And when we say, I deserve better, you know, I suspect that we forget that we've all earned condemnation and judgment. No, no, we don't deserve better, but we've received better. We have received grace. Bible teachers have long spoken of something called common grace. Common grace is the kind of grace that everyone has received. And the starting place is that God has given us life. You are the gracious creation of God. He created you with a body. It's a marvel of his engineering. You did nothing to earn that. He also created an environment that allows your body to live. The air you breathe, the food you eat, the shelter where you live, all of this comes from the earth that God has created, the earth that he's made, and it has enough resources to sustain billions of us. You know, furthermore, he he created you with a spiritual component, soul and spirit, and he made you so that you might exist forever in his presence. What did we do to obtain this? Well, nothing. This is grace that we should live, think, and love, and feel joy and experience relationships and laugh and work and accomplish and be aware. And more so, being made in the image of God gives us the capacity to create, to consider right and wrong, to strive for justice and to bend the knee in worship. Among all the things that God has made, human beings have received a grace that is infinitely above all other things. This is the privilege of grace. But of course, added to his common grace, God has given his elect a redeeming grace. Even though we fail to acknowledge our creator and even though our sinful hearts became darkened and even though we deserved only condemnation and wrath and judgment, yet we received something shockingly gracious. In grace, God sent his son to pay the debt of our sin and offer us the free gift of eternal life. But our hearts were closed to his call and so God went even further. He sent the Holy Spirit to draw us from darkness into his wonderful light. And if that were not enough, and by the way, that is enough, to live and to have our sins forgiven and to be invited to be a servant in his kingdom would have been more than enough. But in fact, it wasn't enough for God. And so he adopted us as sons and daughters of God, joint heirs with Christ, inheriting all that he has made, the reward for his children. But it still was not enough. It pleased God to distribute a portion of the ministry of Jesus to all of his children. We call these endowments spiritual gifts. They are sometimes called grace gifts. The Holy Spirit, because of his graciousness, has given every believer special endowments, uniquely designed and fitted to God's plan for our lives, the ability to reproduce the ministry of Jesus. I've started a series on 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, a series on spiritual gifts, and I've been taking additional time on chapter 12, verses 4 to 7. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. 
Each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. See, I've already addressed the first part of this text. There are varieties of gifts. It, it means that God gives his people gifts or presents completely apart from anything they've earned or deserved. God gives spiritual gifts because he is a God of infinite grace, a God abounding in love and kindness. He loves to bless his children. And we've also noticed from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, that the Holy Spirit apportions gifts or his grace gifts to each one individually as he wills. That's behind the idea of the variety of gifts. So if you want to know how God the Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts to his children, well, we learn from this passage that it is by grace in relationship to the wise decisions made by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, is the one who distributes spiritual gifts simply as an act of love and having absolutely nothing to do with whether we earn or deserve it. We receive from his hand his grace, and it's by grace alone. I hope you see the implication. Someone will say, if only I could speak in tongues, or if only I could seek God more, then I'd get the gift of healing or of teaching. That's nonsense. It's the Holy Spirit's unique role in the Trinity to dispense gifts according to free grace and having nothing to do with our worthiness or our spirituality. If the spiritual gifts were an indication of worthiness, grace would no longer be grace. See, once you get that, you'll start understanding this thing. Now on to verse 5. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Now this word service is the Greek word diakonos. Now most Christians immediately recognize that word because most churches have people who are recognized as, yep, deacons. Now a deacon is simply a servant. I think the first deacon found in the Bible is found in Acts 6. Now, clearly, Acts 6 never mentions the title deacon. I mean, later, as churches were being planted in many cities, and as it became necessary to formalize Christian ministry, I mean, deacons became an office in the church alongside of elders. The elders were the teachers and the preachers and the disciplers who gave leadership to the local church. But, but the deacons, well, they had a very different and a very separate role. You know, the drama surrounding Act 6 had to do with taking care of the practical needs of people in the congregation. The church in Jerusalem had widows, and, and because there was no social safety net to care for their needs, part of the ministry of the church was to distribute food to them on a daily basis. And somehow, and we don't know how, but the widows who were of Greek-speaking backgrounds were being overlooked, and the situation for them was grim indeed. And the church sprung into action, but they sprung into wise action. The apostles, who were the teachers of the gospel, announced that they should not neglect their duties of prayer and ministry of the word. Instead, seven men were chosen assigned to the duty of feeding widows. Now, that experience inspired the formation of deacons in every local church, men and women who were called upon to wait on tables, to do administrative work, and to take part of the practical needs of God's people. Of course, the model for all deacons is the model of Christ. Paul tells us that Jesus, although always existing as God, humbled himself to the lowest place. Jesus himself used that language to describe himself in Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. 
It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, all of that's contained in the word service. There are varieties of service, says Paul, even as there are varieties of gifts. And so we learn that God distributes the gifts by grace in relationship to the Spirit. And now we learn that the Holy Spirit gives gifts which are to be used in humble service in which we imitate the service of Christ. And that's why Paul says there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, meaning the same Lord Jesus Christ. Now, have you paid attention to the Trinitarian formula here? Whereas the Holy Spirit passes out the gifts, the actual model of how to use these gifts is fashioned after the ministry of the Son, that is, after the ministry of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the example. He's the one we're trying to be like as we use the gifts. Now, truly, none of us can be completely like Jesus in every respect. But the Holy Spirit has, in grace, portioned out separate grace gifts for us so that we can be servants as Christ served. Have you ever wondered how come some spiritual gifts engender so much arrogance? And someone asks, do you have a prayer language? Meaning, have you advanced to my level of spirituality? And someone prophesies and therefore wants to indicate, well, all of you had better listen to me. I'm the one that's important here. See, that's one of the reasons I'm going to argue later as we go through this series that when someone thinks they have a message from the Lord, I don't think they should use it to interrupt a public worship service and focus attention on themselves. See, in many cases, this is no more than just simply showboating. See, I'm going to have so much more to say about that later, so, so hang on. But for now, let's understand that we're not using spiritual gifts properly if in the use of them, it doesn't remind others of Jesus. Washing his disciples' feet or Paul's words in Philippians that he humbled himself to the lowest place imaginable, even unto death. That reminds us that's how we use spiritual gifts. Hi, Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. I'm grateful to express our gratitude for those who supported the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada with a financial gift during our fiscal year-end match campaign. Last month, we reached out across the country to ask for your help to sustain the Bible teaching and engagement ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. We're excited to share that we reached our match campaign goal of $75,000 in June, resulting in $150,000 being contributed to our fiscal year-end. The campaign was such a success that now an additional $50,000 has been pledged to continue our match campaign through July. So for the month of July, we share with you the opportunity to participate in an additional $50,000 for dollar match campaign. Every dollar you give will be doubled. Thank you for your generosity and commitment. Call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit Back to the Bible. How unlike Christ we have allowed our view of gifts to become. Gifts are for humbling ourselves, not, not for showcasing our talents and abilities. They're to make us think first of others, not ourselves. 
I wonder how much differently we would think about our spiritual gifts if whenever we think of them, we think that we should be emulating Christ who took a wash basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. By the grace and kindness of God, in his great wisdom, the Holy Spirit has assigned a portion of service of Christ to us, entrusting Christ's humble service to his servants. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 6 says, There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. Now, that word activities has also been translated as effects and as working. It literally means that which is done with a focus on the energy or power involved in accomplishing it. Now, think about the power of a hammer driving in a nail. Power is needed to accomplish what our own hands could not have done on their own, and that's the idea. So we have learned how God distributes gifts, first by grace in relation to the Spirit, then in humble service in relation to the Son, and now God distributes gifts by powerful work in relation to the Father. The idea here is that the same Father who spoke the worlds into existence speaks His power into the gifts the Holy Spirit distributes. That is, every exercise of a spiritual gift is a demonstration of the might and the power of God. God not only gives gifts, he lends his own power to them. In other words, whenever spiritual gifts are in operation, we ought to get a sense that there is some power here that is unearthly, non-human, far greater than we can possibly imagine. God is among us. Listen to the words of Samuel Chadwick in his book, The Way to Pentecost, as, as he describes the divine energy of God. He says, every part of my being wakened up. I did not get a new set of brains, but I got a new mentality. I did not get a new faculty of speech, but I got a new effectiveness of speech. I did not get a new dictionary, but a new Bible. Immediately, I was a new creature with the same basis of natural qualities energized, quickened, reinforced into a bigger vitality and effectiveness that nobody would ever have dreamt possible. That is what happens to those upon whom the Spirit comes. Indeed, it was never intended that the Christian life could be lived on the basis of human means and human power. If it is true that the power of God rests on those who belong to God, we might expect deeds among us that can't be explained on their own. And it is for this reason that I'm not surprised that by the time we work our way through this text, we're going to find that both miracles and healing are placed alongside of administration and helping others. Both require sacrificing of ourselves for the benefit of another. That is, as we go along, we're going to see why I think it's vain to create an artificial distinction between what some have called sign gifts or gifts of a miraculous variety from gifts of the mundane variety. No, each gift is empowered by God, be it miracles or the gift of helps. And in the end, I will also say that's why I find it highly unlikely that after the close of the apostolic era, that the miraculous variety of gifts disappears and the mundane variety remains. I mean, I can't imagine the power of God being absent to heal the sick. And I can't imagine the power of God being absent as someone lays aside their own needs and desires in order to, in order to serve a brother or a sister. See, all of this is the outpouring of a vitality and energy and effectiveness that is larger than we can imagine. If only we would embrace what the Father is saying. 
He has no lack of power. And he may in wisdom decide through whom and, and how he distributes his power, but the power exists. The great danger for those of us who live in the Western world is, is that we try to rationalize everything. I mean, we develop strategies for how to accomplish everything and, and quantify the progress that we're making in everything. In the end, so much of what we do and the efforts we produce, it's about us and our energy. You know, I had a colleague who once told me of a conversation he had with an African pastor. You know, after the African pastor became aware of how we use technology in church and how we set goals and developed vision statements and analyzed our opportunities and even analyzed how we apply our resources most effectively, everything based on a business model, the African pastor was amazed and he said, I had no idea how much you can accomplish without God. Now, I'm sure that was not meant as a compliment. Rather, it was a prophetic word. The absence of prayer, the absence of fasting and waiting on God, the necessity of repentance and, and crying out to God in our desperation. When that's missing, the power of God is missing. And where the power of God is missing, what's also missing are the outcomes we so desperately need today. We're like the man who wants to drive a nail into a piece of wood without a hammer. All of our efforts fall short. What we need is grace. What we need is the energy of God, and God gives it. Whatever is needed in the service of God is available to those who wait on God. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. See, the more we get into this text, the more we are getting a sense of what spiritual gifts are, and the more we are getting a sense of why it is that God is giving them. He's not giving them to demonstrate who's spiritual or who's exceptional. God is dividing out his grace among us and creating this wonderful tapestry among us, a tapestry of unity. God's power is being released among us. God is showcasing that he is active among us. But we still need a final and definitive answer to the question of why God gives spiritual gifts and why we should be interested in them. Let's go now to verse 7. Each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, this is really one of the wonderful verses in Scripture. First, Paul says that when each believer uses his or her spiritual gifts, that this use of gifts is in fact a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. See, that word manifestation means to reveal or to make an appearance. Look at it this way. Let's pretend you've just gone to a stage play and the curtain has come down. You know that the actors and actresses are just behind the curtain, but you can't see them now. You know what's coming. It's called the curtain call. And so everyone stands and applauds because you want the curtain to rise one more time and for the performers to step out from behind the curtain so you can see them and acknowledge them. And then they do, and everyone applauds even louder for even though they were there behind the curtain, you wanted them to manifest themselves. See, that's what a manifestation is. It's to make visible something that you can't see now. Now, the Holy Spirit is invisible. I mean, after all, he's spirit and he's not flesh. In John 3, Jesus compared the spirit to wind. You can't see the wind and you never doubt it's there. You can feel it, you can watch its effects, either in the leaves and the trees or the waves in the ocean, but remains invisible. And here now is the wonder of the gifts of the Spirit. Every time a believer learns what their gifts are and begins to use them, it's as if the invisible Holy Spirit is stepping out from behind the curtain and manifesting himself. Use your gifts and in your gifts, show forth the Holy Spirit. 
Imagine the use of the gift of healing, and, and when an individual is healed, the Holy Spirit says, here I am. I've always been here, but aren't you amazed that you now see me? Or when someone serves in such a way that brings relief and joy and life where there was none, the Holy Spirit says, here I am. I was always here, but now you can see me. And so we know why God distributes gifts, two reasons. First, he wants to showcase the Holy Spirit among us. It is to be able to help others to see that God is among us. And notice also that verse 7 says, to each is given. Did you know that you have been given gifts that are intended to showcase the Holy Spirit? Someone will say, well, not me, but you've forgotten our lesson. They are given by grace and not as a result of how spiritual or how advanced you are. But second, also very important, gifts are given so that we might serve each other. See how different that sounds to the idea of giftedness in our culture. You know, when our culture talks about gifted people, we mean they're talented and, and we draw attention to them. And when we say people have a spiritual gift, we mean that others are served. And serving one another, we draw attention to God. See, if spiritual gifts are understood in this way, then tongues and prophecy will not be divisive, but instead they're going to be unifying. They'll not lead to one-upmanship, rather they'll lead to humility. They will not teach us that each of us can do our own thing without the other. They will draw us into one another's arms. In short, we need to understand and operate our spiritual gifts so that we can give glory to God and truly love each other as we ought. John, in your message, you said these words, something like, someone will say, if only I could speak in tongues, or if only I would seek God more, then I would get the gift of healing or teaching. And you say, but that's nonsense. So in essence, what are you saying here? Like, is, is the gift, it, can we do something to get the gifts, or what is it all about? Well, I guess we can always ask, and that's where we get to in 1 Corinthians 14, you know, we're to seek the gifts, and we can ask God for a gift, and of course it's up to the Lord whether or not he gives it to us. He will distribute them according to, you know, his own grace and his own wisdom, but for our sakes, we should continually concentrate on this one thing. A gift is a grace gift. And grace gifts are given to us apart from anything that we've done to earn or deserve it. So I, I don't know how often I need to say that, but we do need to continue to say that. You don't get to a spiritual plane for a gift. It is given by grace. Thanks so much, John. And join us again tomorrow for more of Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. We're missing you. And the opportunities we've had in the past to meet you face to face, share in times of worship and laughter, and the study of God's Word. So enough is enough. Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again, and In Doubt are excited to invite you to our 2021 special virtual event called The Gathering, coming on Sunday, September 19th. Enjoy an exclusive message from Dr. John Newfeld hosted by Laugh Again's own Phil Calloway, and musical guests that will enrich our time together in worship. Last September, people from right across Canada attended online in their offices, homes, on their computers, or even their phones. More information is on the way, so keep an eye out at backtothebible.ca or sign up for the daily audio mail or monthly 
ministry email update while you're there, or just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425.